Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Community Radio WERU and Mabel Wadsworth Center, a feminist, client-centered, sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Strout. On each show, we speak with local experts to explore issues that impact our sexual and reproductive health. Topics include, but aren't limited to, reproductive rights, access to health care, feminism, LGBTQ rights, and women's sexuality. We wrap up each show with our Ask Mabel segment, where we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions. For more information on Mabel Wadsworth Center or to listen to past episodes, visit MabelWadsworth.org. You can also find Reproductive Left on WERU.org in the archives, on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for tuning in. Good afternoon and thanks for listening. Andrea Irwin, Executive Director of the Mabel Wadsworth Center, is back for the show today. Among a few other topics, Andrea is here to discuss a new report by the Abortion Care Network titled Communities Need Clinics. The report highlights the importance of independent abortion care providers across the United States. If you want to learn more after listening today, you can find the report at abortioncarenetwork.org. Hi, Andrea. Welcome to Reproductive Left. Thank you for being on again. It's been a while. Thanks, Abby. Yeah, really excited to be back on the show with you. So we have a couple of different things we want to cover today, but um, I want to start with this new report that just came out from the Abortion Care Network called Communities Need Clinics the role of independent abortion care providers ensuring meaningful access to abortion care in the United States. Um, One of the first facts that they talk about in here is that independent abortion care providers perform 60% of abortions in the United States. Mm -hmm. Now, I work at an independent abortion provider, and that number was really surprising to me. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what it means to be an independent abortion care provider, and then also why um, why it isn't known that, that these clinics exist and are doing so much care throughout the United States. Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, like you, I also work in an independent provider. Maple Wadsworth Center is independent. And um, I think it's good to start by defining what an independent clinic isn't. We're not part of Planned Parenthood, which is, as you know, a large national organization with many affiliates throughout the country, Um, and we're not a hospital facility or private physician's offices. So that statistic of 60%, that's really talking about all the other clinics that don't fit in those categories. And like you said, I think it is really surprising for a lot of people, um, particularly because of what's been happening in the news and in the... um, Congress with Planned Parenthood most recently, um, but also it's it's kind of like an analogy is maybe Starbucks is, you know, a huge um, national corporation that has brand recognition and everybody knows, but people also have their local coffee shops that they frequent and love, but they're all different no matter what city or state you're in, so we're more like the local um providers, although there are some providers that are independent that have um, multiple sites across different states, so it really varies. Um, You know, we're definitely one of the smaller ones. Uh, We have nine staff, and 
we're here in a pretty small community, but that's a really big part of what makes um, independent providers unique is that we are community-based. We're able to be responsive to the needs of our community. Uh, we rely on our community for support, and we're really, um, we really try to be integrated with the people in our community and, um, and, and just be here for the people that need the care the most. Um, and additionally, we don't have, in addition to not having um, name recognition, we don't have the same like institutional capacity for fundraising. Um, and as a not-for-profit, uh, we have to raise a lot of the funds ourselves, um, which we do through support from our community and grants. What does independent mean for Mabel Wadsworth Center specifically? That's a great question. So for us, independent means not affiliated um, and that we're here as a freestanding clinic like it does for the other organizations that fall under this definition for abortion care network. But it also means that we don't take any federal or state funding because of its restrictions. And that means that we have to raise more funds than we would otherwise. And our founders really created the center with that intention in mind. Um, it was really intentional to create a space where people could come and talk about abortion openly, have access to abortion in addition to a range of other services uh, without strings. And it's allowed us to be really bold advocates and not fear that our funding would be cut or anything like that if we oppose the government that is in control. Another um, statistic or fact that they put out in this new um, report is that there have been 56 independent abortion care um, providers or clinics that have closed in the past two years. Mm. And eighty more than 80% of those clinics provided care after the first trimester. So what does that mean for access across the United States. Mm, that's definitely one of the most sobering statistics to come out of this report. And as you know, while most abortions are performed in the first trimester, about 89%, there are many reasons that women might need to get abortion care throughout pregnancy. And in many cases, um, they're the people that are most vulnerable and have trouble accessing care that they need. Um, this is really problematic for people that um, live in rural communities because access is already difficult in terms of transportation and just getting um, getting to a place where you can get that type of care. Um, there's also a bigger challenge for women that may be experiencing domestic violence or be young women that don't necessarily know that they're pregnant when they... Um, when most people might. And so, again, there's just um, a real need for women that are in some of these vulnerable um, places to really need this access to care throughout pregnancy. And why have so many clinics closed in the past two years? That is also a great question. Um, sadly, it's because of a real um, intentional effort by the antis to close them. Um, that's really the main reason. Uh, there's been numerous state laws passed to make access more difficult since 2010. There's actually been 388 state laws passed. And these are laws that have no safety or health benefit to the patients. They're 
medically unnecessary and they're really just being um, used to target providers and close clinics. So that's one major reason. Um, additionally, there's increased hostility and extremism against providers, so harassment, threats, and violence. Um, and as recently as this past November 2016 election, there's been an uptick in picketing and hate speech and online harassment. And then there's also financial pressures. Um, for us as a nonprofit, it is more difficult um, because we are essentially providing the same service at the same price that we have for decades, but the cost of care is going up in all of the health system and we're not getting reimbursed. Most insurance companies don't reimburse for abortion care. Um, and there have also been cuts um, to the clinics, the nonprofit clinics that do rely on state or federal funding, like Title X. There are cuts happening in states to those programs. Um, and then for the for-profit clinics, um, the financial pressures are real and they are operating often on really slim profit margins. And they're also under attack um, from antis. A really sad situation is happening right now in Maryland where Dr. Carhart, who is one of the few physicians in the country to provide abortion beyond um, 26 weeks, uh, their clinic, the building that they're in, was actually purchased by an anti-group that raised money for that purpose and are now evicting them. And that is just a huge challenge in terms of where they can... Now they have this additional challenge. It's hard enough to just run a facility, but now they have to find a new location and continue to serve their patients. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Mabel Wadsworth Center and Community Radio WERU. On the show with me today is Andrea Irwin, the Executive Director of Mabel Wadsworth Center. So you started to bring up um, insurance, which is a good segue into the other conversation I wanted to have with you, which is about Um, Question two on the ballot here in Maine this fall, which is regarding Medicaid expansion. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear why Medicaid expansion is important to clinics like Mabel Wadsworth Center, especially um, regarding abortion care because Maine Care um, state funding doesn't actually support abortion services. Right, that's correct. Um, So first, because it's a human right, and we believe that everyone should have access to health care no matter what, uh, no matter how much money they make. But also, uh, we're a full-spectrum provider of sexual and reproductive health. So we see patients for all sorts of services. Um, we see people for prenatal care that are continuing their pregnancies. We provide hormone therapy to transgender people, birth control visits, wellness, cancer screenings. And we know that people um, aren't getting the care that they need. And unfortunately, um, when people don't have health coverage, they're less likely to get care in a timely manner and more likely to forego care altogether, which means that they could end up getting much more ill or getting in the hospital. And it's just a terrible situation for people that don't have health coverage. Um, Here at Mabel Wadsworth Center, about half the patients that we have now do have main care or would be eligible if this passes. So... Uh, It's a really important population that we care about deeply, and again, we really believe that everyone has access to health care as a human right. Um, So it's the federal Hyde Amendment that prohibits the federal funding um, of abortion care. How does that impact state funding? So states um, actually 
can use state dollars to pay for abortion if they choose. As you might not be surprised to hear, most states do not make that choice. Um, and However, there are some states that have, and in some states, um, advocates have actually sued to get the coverage in state reinstated um, and so that state Medicaid funds do cover that population. And so that's what we've done here in Maine um, with the ACLU. We've partnered with them to sue Maine Care to to restore coverage of abortion in Maine Care. And we do believe that that is um, essential health care for people and that we will ultimately prevail in our suit. We're just waiting <laughs> to see what the results are. And you said restore. So um, is this something that was covered in the past? It was covered in the past, yes. Maine, um, as a policy matter, did cover abortion um, and then made the decision to not cover it anymore. And so it's been quite a while that we haven't had coverage. And we, as you know, we see the results of that every day. We see women that are scrambling to find the means to get to their appointment and come up with the money. And that's just not, it's not fair, it's not right, and it really does create barriers. The other thing that I've been paying attention to um, in the the news, which I'm not sure is major news or not, but that the Democratic Party is having conversations about whether or not they're going to support leadership um, of people who are anti-abortion. Mm. Um, I know that Mabel Wadsworth Center is um, a nonpartisan organization, but I'm sure that you have thoughts and opinions on this and was wondering what your take is. Yes, I definitely do have opinions on this. And like you, I've thought about it quite a bit. And like you said, we are nonpartisan, so we don't endorse um, or otherwise support any party or candidate. But we do see that there is hypocrisy in a party that claims to speak on behalf of women, the working poor, people of color, immigrants, and other vulnerable people. um, Because abortion access is so central to economic justice and social justice. Um, And even more broadly reproductive justice um, means deciding whether and when to become a parent and having support no matter what you decide. So that's why we as an organization don't just support policies that improve access to abortion or defend abortion, but also that make it easier for people to be parents. So um, getting childcare, paid sick leave, paid family leave, and other safety net programs that are so essential. And really, um, for many people, deciding to have an abortion is a decision about their economic future because having a child has such a significant impact on someone's ability to further their own educational and employment opportunities or they want to take care of the kids that they already have. And so it is fundamentally, it's a decision about your body, but it's also a decision about your own economic security. Um, Also, I think it's really troubling because Democrats purport to be the party of science and evidence-based policy, and they they use facts and science to to make decisions about proposals that impact climate change or education or all these other issues that we all care about, and attacks on abortion are often made up of lies, as you very well know. 
Um, like we said earlier, there are no safety or health concerns that would require uh, an abortion provider to operate like a surgical facility in an operating room. Um, similarly, there's no evidence to show that women need additional time to make up their minds. So these forced waiting periods have no, um, no reason, no evidence uh, to support the need for them. And they're, they're really just attempts to keep women from getting the health care that they need. Abortion is not at all controversial. 70% um, of Americans support access to abortion, and for Democrats to ignore that is really probably not helpful to their future in terms of um, representing the people that they're trying to represent. Um, but Lindy West, who's a writer and co-founder of Shout Your Abortion, someone that I think we both really admire, said it really well in the New York Times, so I'm going to borrow uh, this paragraph that she wrote, which I think is really excellent. She says, Democratic candidates are perfectly welcome to refrain from terminating their own pregnancies, but to be anti-choice on a policy level is absolutely indefensible from an economic justice, racial, racial justice, gender justice, and human rights standpoint. And if the Democratic Party does not stand for any of those things, then what on earth is it? So really powerful. If people haven't um, read that piece yet, it was in the New York Times in, I think, earlier this month, actually. And I think she's really correct. Um, we know that women of color and people who are living in poverty, young women, are all disproportionately impacted by policies that impede access to abortion. So you can't, you know truly be for social justice, racial justice, economic justice, if you oppose abortion access. It's really pretty clear. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks for being on Reproductive Left today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, Abby. Welcome to Ask Mabel with nurse practitioner Lindsay Piper. We have three questions for Lindsay today. The first question, Lindsay, is what is the most effective form of birth control? Well, there are a couple of answers. Um, I think the most effective form, which is 100%, is abstinence. But that's not very fun. <laughs> so um, when I think about um, all of the different options people have, Sort of the party line in the reproductive justice movement is um, the most effective form is the one that the individual is going to use. Um, and so I guess to be a little bit more nuanced or sort of throw some science into there, there's like perfect use and then there's typical use. Um, and typical use is, um, you know, with all of the human error that can happen. Um, and so if you want to kind of go down the list of most effective, effective to least effective, considering those two aspects, so like perfect use versus typical use, um, I think the highest um, category uh, would be sterilization, so a tubal ligation or a vasectomy. Um, and in that same category, um, there is... Um, uh, IUDs, so intrauterine devices, and then an implant, which um, goes under the um, skin and the arm. And then actually lactational amenorrhea method, um, which is a very little known method, um, is in that category. Um, and so if anybody has questions about what that is, come and see me. I love to talk about breastfeeding. 
And then you kind of go down, down the scale a little bit. And we're talking about point tenth, like tenths of percents of effectiveness. Um, although those can add up, certainly, especially if you're talking about uh, population over the course of a year with typical use of like the pill, how many people will be pregnant by the end of the year, blah, blah, blah. Um, so down the line, you have now your depot shot. Down the line a little bit further, you have your um, pill, your patch, your NuvaRing. Um, and then down the line a little bit more, you have um, barrier methods and then withdrawal method. Um, still actually has pretty good effectiveness, which I was sort of surprised when I was doing more reading about um, withdrawal method, um, or people call it pull and pray or whatever kind of, you know, but I think that's pretty challenging um, to use if, correctly um, for people. So I think that's why it's lower on the effectiveness level. So that's sort of like a brief overview of how I, you know, answer that question when clients ask me. If I was coming into the clinic to get birth control, would I also have to get a pelvic exam or a pap test? The short answer is no, um, and here's why. So uh, not becoming pregnant when you don't want to be pregnant is a totally and entirely different thing than cervical cancer, which is what a pap screening is for. So um, if a provider ever tells you that they need to be combined together, um, I, I sort of think that that's a little manipulative. It's it's a way to get you to do a screening that is also important in order to get what you want, which is the birth control. So um, while I fully support people coming in for their annual exams, for getting their um, scheduled pap screenings, breast and chest cancer screenings, you know, I, I think that um, combining them with birth control is sort of um, – maybe an old way to get people to come in to get those things. Um, when you are getting a medication from a healthcare provider, you do need to be seen annually for things like um, checking blood pressure and checking in on how a method is working for you. So even if you aren't getting a pap test, coming in for your renewal of your birth control is definitely a must. Um, but like I said, not being pregnant when you don't want to and cervical cancer are totally separate things. Okay, and then the last question, I was recently asked by a mother of a teenager um, if it is better for her teen to come to us for her well woman exam or just to continue with her pediatrician. Can you answer that question? Yeah, I think uh, that individual um, would be best served at a place where she feels most comfortable. Um, so that's sort of the overarching answer. Um, I think when you come to a clinic that specializes in reproductive um, and sexual health, you're going to get a little bit more nuanced care surrounding those things. Um, and um, certainly here you'll you'll get our sort of feminist um, angle of health care. Not that you couldn't at a pediatrician's office, but that's, you know, it sort of would be a pick, you know, luck of the draw uh, as as far as how that provider um, centers their care. Um, so here you'll certainly um, get answers like you just heard from me as far as like giving you lots of choices and um, sort of the perspective that the individual sort of is going to make the best decision about what is going to work for their life. Um, so that's sort of like what you're going to get if you come to Mabel's. Um, and a teenager uh, can certainly come here. Um, it's we're a judgment-free zone. We don't um, 
feel the need to involve parents in sexual and reproductive health um, if that's not appropriate, if the client doesn't want that. If they want it, we're certainly happy that they have supportive people in their lives who are bringing them to these appointments because – you know, if you're 16 and making decisions about your body, it might be really nice to have a parent there to kind of hold your hand and or help you answer some kind of tricky questions. Um, so depending on if it's um, how this what the situation is, uh, we're happy to include them or to not if, if it's a, you know, if the relationship is challenging. That's it for today. Thank you for tuning in. If you have a question for Ask Mabel, visit our new and improved website, mabelwadsworth.org, and click on Contact Us. Thank you for listening to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Mabel Wadsworth Center and Community Radio WERU. If you'd like to listen to past episodes, you can find them on weru.org in the archives or at mabelwadsworth.org. You can also find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or through whatever podcast app you use. Tune in next month at our new time, the first Wednesday of the month at 4.30 p.m. Right here at Community Radio WERU, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, or at weru.org.